Welcome to In the News Show. I am your host, Judy Desagatis, and I'm here with my faithful co-host, Father Bill Weary. Hello, Father Bill, and hello, listeners. Hello, Judy. Hi, everybody out there. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, thank you, and welcome. I'd like to thank Joe Nebistinsky for our technical assistance, as well as David Hillowitz for our theme music. So let's jump right in, Father. You have an article here that you pulled off for us from Switzerland. Yeah, I read it this morning. I, I really, I don't have a copy of it in front of me, but I was just so impressed with this article by Bishop Marian Eleganti of Switzerland, I'm not sure which diocese, about the importance of tradition and how we cannot change the, the doctrine, the basic doctrines of the faith. And he just put it together uh, so well. It was on a, some news platform uh, where he wrote this uh, online. Give a heads up to the, the importance of, of sticking with the doctrine of the faith. Tradition, capital T, a doctrinal tradition is a gift handed down to us, and it, it cannot be reversed. First, uh, you can develop it. Pope Francis has, has talked about that before, citing St. Vincent of Lorraine from the 4th, um, 5th century, I think 5th century, who did a, a great piece on how you can develop it, but you cannot reverse doctrine. And in the development has to be done very carefully if you're, you know, tweaking how to explain a doctrine. And sometimes I, I try to I try to get myself to avoid the term doctrine or dogma, if possible, because it sounds so stuffy to people. And I talk in terms of the truths of the faith. It's up to Bishop Alegon for that wonderful essay. Maybe, maybe next month I'll have it in front of me, be able to quote from it. He gave, you know, ye yellow flags to, you know, going, going too far. And he mentioned the uh, divorce and remarried, receiving communion. Some of these efforts are being done in high church levels, giving communion to the divorce and remarried, and blessing homosexual unions, which cannot be done, really. Things, things of that nature, which are really against the tradition of the faith, going back to the early centuries. So just wanted to get that in there. Yes, we'll follow up on that uh, next time. It's a good lead into another article that I saw on LifeSite News. Cardinal Mueller is back in the news again, and he reacts to Pope Francis's new appointment to Vatican's doctrine chief. Yes. And I think this is bringing up a lot of the things you just mentioned, Father. The new appointment to Vatican doctrine chief is Archbishop Victor Fernandez. He's the new prefect of the congregation, which is now the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. So this was an article that was done and reported to LifeSite News. And I think there's, it, it's talks exactly what you were talking about. He has gone on record previously calling some of Archbishop Fernandez's statements heretical because uh, he favors the communion to the divorced and remarried. That's yeah. definitely one of the things. Now he's head of this dicastery. He's also argued that sexual relations between well, cohabitating couples, I'm sorry, group, uh, are not always sinful. So that's another thing that he supports as well as he has stated that he's much more progressive than the Pope. Whoa. So what do you think this could mean for the future of the church with this archbishop being in that particular position that the Pope has now put him in? That's a very good question. Uh, boy, it really raises concerns on, on the part of on the part of many. Uh, he was in, he was investigated by the, when it was a congregation for the doctrine of the faith some years ago. I don't know under which Pope, uh, but he was, uh, there were concerns about him just in his role as, as uh, archbishop and um, he was uh, looked into and he was investigated and he carried out a conversation with the congregation for the doctrine of the faith and they were and then they were satisfied with him maybe backtracked on some of his positions but he's since talked about that investigation as really talked it down as uh, ridiculous uh, wasted a lot of his time uh, sort of thing so what this means I'm really not sure we just have to pray to the Holy Spirit to really protect you know the, the doctrinal teaching of the doctrinal orthodoxy of the church and they, the dicastery for 
the doctrine of the faith, that's that's their mandate. That's their charge is, is to maintain the purity of the teaching of the faith. So um, I hope, you know, he has a change of heart and, and really takes a strong stance in terms of the truth, capital T. Yes, amen to that. And also to tag team with that article is another article from LifeSite News where another archbishop from Argentina, Hector Aguirre, uh, slams the synod on synodality for contradicting church tradition, capital T, which is what you were just talking about, saying that, quote, they're pushing a globalist agenda for 2030, unquote. And they're saying that this new progressive church, quote unquote, resembles Protestantism. Yeah. So that these documents, so um, we have the one Argentinian bishop in that, in the role under the Pope, and then this Argentine bishop, Hector Aguirre, is saying that they're pushing in the synod a globalist agenda moving toward 2030, um, and that they're really wanting to reorganize the church, and uh, that that might be what might be happening, some of these things about breaking down that church tradition. So now we have something else in our back pocket of mm-hmm. concern, basically kind of supporting the new world order. And yeah. that's, that's a scary thing. Well, I, I'm certainly glad to hear and see these people standing up, uh, bishops, yes. archbishops, yep. and speaking out and speaking up. And the Pope is very much into, at least rhetorically, into listening and being open. And so I hope he takes heed of these concerns. I consider a Cardinal Mueller hero. Cardinal Mueller is just um, a very the former head prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith for about five years um, under, um, I guess it was under Be- uh, Benedict. Benedict. In any case, and there's been plenty of other uh, theological concerns expressed about the, the synod on synodality, what, what's going to transpire from that. Uh, mandatory celibacy is also under scrutiny, and um, there's just uh, so much we have to pray about that. And I thank these archbishops for and bishops and other clergy for speaking out, religious leaders. Amen to that. We need more of those uh, to speak out. <clears throat> I have another article. It's really rare that we can tag all these articles together, but it was also from LifeSite News, and this also is cause for concern. I mean, I think it's good that we're gathering and talking about the Synod and wanting to work together, but this is this has got me a little concerned. So Pope Francis recently received former President Bill Clinton and George Soros's son, Alexander, in a private Vatican visit. Now, there's the Holy See is saying that it was uh, reportedly about quote-unquote peace, mm-hmm. but I think um, we know where they've been in the news. Bill yeah. Clinton was president, so he's been in the news in the past, and, and even currently, and now George Sor- Soros, of course, in supporting the New World Order, and now his son supposedly is even more for the New World Order, even more to the left. It'd be interesting to see if anything were to come out more about this meeting that was done in the spirit of peace, and we hope that's what it was. But I think it's kind of interesting that he entertained these two uh, figures that are certainly not conservative, certainly not supportive of the church with their positions. They've been very vocal about that. Yeah. Um, now the son who is taking over for George is going to really push this agenda. Well, of course, as a head of state, you know, the Pope is going to be meeting with other heads of state, world leaders. We don't, you know, we, we don't always know what goes on at these meetings behind closed doors, but one would certainly hope that the Pope would remind uh, leaders, especially Catholic ones, but any any world leaders, government heads, uh, their responsibility to uh, the divine order mm-hmm. uh, and uh, to you know, a God's will. Anybody, you know, anybody who's ruling or in office elected or otherwise is ultimately under God's aegis. And that's what Jesus Christ reminded Pontius Pilate of during the interrogations. Pilate says, don't you know, I have the 
power to put you to death. And Jesus snaps back, you would have no power whatsoever were it not given to you from above. Right. And boy, that's a really telling statement mm-hmm. that even, even pagan rulers, pagan leaders, that they are in some sense appointed appointed by God. Um, that might seem an outrageous statement, especially when they're guilty of you know, terrible atrocities, but that would be a violation of their of their leadership. And uh, God does give us free will, mm-hmm. and we can certainly commit sins, and He does not stop or intervene. Great mystery of suffering, uh, but nevertheless, uh, yeah. This meeting with Bill Clinton and George Soros' son, um, you, you don't know what kind of a uh, content subject matter mm-hmm. was was right. addressed there. Right. But you certainly hope that it that their contact with the, with the Pope would influence them in the right direction toward a true justice, yeah. especially uh, protecting the protection of life, not only against war, but against abortion and euthanasia and all the things that governments now are are promoting and permitting and protecting, like physician-assisted suicide and all all that sort of thing. But the Catholic Church has to stand strong against those things. That is true. And Soros is definitely linked to and a proponent of and also funded anti-family, anti-life and anti-Catholic endeavors. So Mm -hmm. we'd like to think that this meeting with the Pope, as you said, you know, he's also a head of state, could maybe provide an evangelization opportunity and working toward peace and saying, well, we all have different views, but what can we do to support life? Yeah, exactly. We certainly don't want to be having anti-family and anti-life, so we'll have to see what happens if anything else comes of it, but those two have been well in the news of, of not being uh, supportive of those issues that, all, that Catholics are supportive of. So we'll switch gears a little bit about the renovation of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, yeah. which had a fire, I think, uh, back in 2019. I think it was before before the pandemic, and then they were going to uh, redo it into an ultra-modernistic type of architecture. And uh, I think you have some news for us that they're um, going they're back, back to at, the more traditional now. They're backing off of that pl- that plan A. Good. Thanks, thanks be to God. And yes. they're, they're going to renovate more, along more uh, traditional lines. Uh, there was such an outcry about it. One artist said, you know, they were turning the cathedral into Disneyland or something like that. So uh, the, the the outcry was significant and people were expressing their chagrin over the uh, the plan uh, as first proposed. So now they're, they're back to a more traditional look that's uh, that's going to happen. And um, I guess, I'm, I'm not sure when the opening is going to be, but it's, it's coming up, the opening of the, of the cathedral. Mm-hmm. And and um, so that, that's all, really. And I'm just happy that uh, they're going to preserve the integrity, uh, the architectural integrity of the place as it was built and intended. Right. Amen. Because I remember seeing that fire on TV. That was very scary. And then hearing about that they wanted to ultra modernize the art and that that was really scared me. So I'm glad that there has been, um, you know, pushback from that and that they are going to be changing that. Personal, so, note, personal yeah. note on that. I'm, I, was in, I was in Paris many years ago, early 2000s with a priest friend of mine and my sister and brother-in-law, and uh, I celebrated Mass at the high altar of Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Oh, nice. Uh, I was up there. It was, uh, and it was 11 a.m. Mass. Of course, a lot of crowds, Sunday morning, with a lot of crowds moving around, uh, the tourists and pilgrims, and um, it was just, it was an, Af- the main celebrant was uh, an African priest who was studying a theology in Paris, and just 
me and Father Frank Karbatsky, pastor now of uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, uh, and just the three of us up there at the altar, the high at the main altar. Wow! Uh, and uh, no other no other con celebrants or uh, anything. So that was uh, very impressive. And I was just standing there in the sanctuary, just thinking of all the historical events that took place there, like the crowning of of, of Napoleon, and um, that's the incident where uh, the Pope placed was going to place the crown on his head, Napoleon's head, and he and he grabbed the crown from the Pope's hands and placed the crown on his own head. In other words, crowning himself. Right. And then and then took the crown off and placed it on his queen Josephine's head mm. uh, and, and crowned her queen. But he wanted to he wanted to take charge, and I guess it took place right up there in that square footage where I was, and that was a very moving very moving moment for me. That's a great experience. And yeah. we're going to go to break right now. Um, please stay with us. Uh, you're listening to WHYF 7:20 a.m. Holy Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In the News Show. Um, our next topic is uh, some information that Father got for us about the Pew Research Survey about Protestant and Catholic satisfaction levels with sermons and music um, yeah. at the services. Uh, it's not good news, but why don't you tell us about it, Father? Oh, boy. This is kind of, this is a letdown, uh, this survey. It's uh, what they found was that Protestants are much more satisfied with their preaching and, and music than Catholics. When the United States, this is from Religious News Service, mm-hmm. uh, June 21st, when United States adults were asked how satisfied they were with their sermons that they heard online uh, or in person, 82% of Protestants who regularly attended services in person said that they were, quote, extremely or very satisfied with the sermons that they hear. Uh, for Protestants who regularly watch services on TV or online, 76% were extremely or very satisfied with the sermons. On the other hand, only 61% of Catholics who regularly attend church in person hmm. said that they were uh, extremely or very satisfied. Difference of about 21 points from the Protestants. Yeah. Similarly, of those Catholics who regularly watch services on TV or online, 57% hmm. were extremely or very satisfied, a difference of 19 points. Only 36% of Catholics read the scripture once a month or more, as compared with 75% of evangelical mm-hmm. Protestants, according yeah. to the Pew research. Among Protestants, 75% of those who regularly attend services in person and 57% of those who regularly watch on TV or online are extremely or very satisfied with the music. For Catholics, the equivalents are 61% and 50%. Mm. Um, so uh, 71% of Protestants who regularly attend religious services in person report feeling a great deal or quite a bit of connection with others attending in person. Only 50% of Catholics report the same, feeling Mm -hmm. a great deal or quite a bit of connection with persons. So, um, what are some of the things, how can we improve that? Do you think father as as a priest, what do you think? That is, uh, that is so true. I mean, I try to prioritize greeting at the door. I mean, going back to the connection with mm-hmm. with, with people, uh, g- greeting at the door, um, having gr- greeters is a, is a really important 
thing and with varying degrees of success on my part um, with that. Uh, I have two I have two parishes, two small rural parishes. And uh, but I think that's one way of really ramping up uh, the greeting and, um, you know, so, social activities. Uh, my, my one parish, my larger parish, we don't even we don't have refreshments after mass. We used to. Uh, we don't anymore. Got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. The second parish has, a, uh, and one of the reasons we don't is because even though it's a larger parish, it's it's we hardly have any um, meeting space. The narthex is very small mm-hmm. and a, a dingy church basement that is not handicap accessible. We're mm-hmm. we're doing a capital campaign to try to address that, collecting money now um, for a a, reno, a renovation. But anyway, um, but the, um, the second parish has a great a great church hall where they do uh, wonderful um, refreshments and donuts and, and uh, what, what have you afterwards for, for, and a really good dynamic there. So I'd say, you know, greeting at the door and, and social activities in the church are, are just so important. And I, you know, I don't know, I bust my back on my homilies and you know, <laughs> try the best, try the best I can. And um, just keep on a plugging, plugging away at it. We're doing right. a, uh, my, my the larger parish is doing really good. We have a really good music program going right now. Mm-hmm. Very, it's very good, and a lot of and, and more young people involved. So, I don't know. You know, I, there are no easy answers. Um, parish renewal programs. There, there are a number of them out on the market. Um, I remember when the renew program out of uh, New mm-hmm. Jersey was really big. You don't hear too much about it now. It's about it was like a three year. A program. I was just a little bit involved with it with one parish that I where I was, uh, just as a preliminary. And then I was transferred out. I just got some of the preliminary steps done. Very extensive, but there are other uh, there are other programs out there. Uh, of course, parish missions, stuff like that. Bring in bringing in the guest preachers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay. Council, and just say you know, gee whiz, folks, what can we do about this? That uh, you know. Uh, a consultation and um, getting some ideas from from the people is very, is very important. Right, right. Yeah, and to go along with that, there was a blurb in our Sunday visitor that says 50% of women ages 18 to 25 oh. uh, uh, religious, they, they identify as religiously unaffiliated or nons, N-O-N-E-S, and 40% of men at the same age identify as nons. Right. So not only are we having this issue with the Protestants and the Catholics, but then just general population, people are identifying. I mean, half of the women of that age, that the young people who are going to be the future of our world and of our church are identifying as nuns. And I, th- I think a lot of it had to do with we lost a lot of people with the pandemic and not being maybe. able to come to church. And maybe they got disillusioned with uh, faith and God because this pandemic happened and all the things that were happening. I mean, we got polarized politically and everything. Um, So I don't know if those would change uh, in time. You know, maybe they'll come back to church. Maybe, um, uh, you know, to your point about the Protestants and Catholics, maybe they won't be watching it on TV so much. Maybe they'll want to come back and they'll want to gather with people as you have social events and things like that. And things start to continue to ramp up again. Uh, I don't know what the answer to that is, but we we definitely need to have uh, people come back. And I know um, for our our church at Holy Spirit, we try to be as welcoming as possible. And and the sermons are always good. So I know all you priests are trying and it's it's tough out there because it, it is. It, there's some really tough 
issues and people, uh, Catholics are polarized when some of those issues and you know what we've seen in the last three years. So it's hard to, to bring people back. And I know everybody's doing the best they can so we can keep praying for the Holy Spirit to rain down on us uh, what we need to be doing for our, our next steps. So um, uh, a little bit of a positive spin is uh, we have a movie that came out on July 4th. Uh, Father, you said you saw it. It's called Sound of Freedom and it's starring Jim Caviezel. And he, uh, it, it, he is the actor who represents Tim Ballard, who quit his job to rescue children out of sex trafficking. Um, and you said it was very good. I'm going to be seeing it tonight when we record this on July 10th. So um, we have about two minutes. Could you give us a little synopsis without, without uh, spoil, uh, spoiling the ending? <laughs> well, I want to tell you, it is a fabulous movie. Uh, of course, there's the, the, the message, the issue of, of stopping child sex trafficking that is more prevalent than you realize. And the movie helps out, helps you to see that. And also just as a movie, it's very exciting, uh, very suspenseful. And there are a couple of, uh, you know, Tim Ballard goes undercover, uh, infiltrates uh, these gangs. Uh, one was uh, in the middle of it. It was actually an insurrectionist group in, in Latin America that was, um, you know, a terror, basically a, a terrorist, but uh, had a big compound uh, in the jungle. But it, it included, um, you know, uh, child uh, child sex, bringing in, kidnapping uh, children, and and bringing them in for the pleasure of the uh, of the of the men. And uh, there was a undercover operation that Tim Bauer did that was, I'm going to tell you, it was very exciting and suspenseful. And um, it is just a, a, a great movie. Tim Ballard himself, I saw an interview with him and Jim Caviezel, an interviewer, had both of them on the screen, and they were wonderful. And Tim Ballard is so fabulous. Uh, he could have played the role. He, Jim Caviezel could have stepped aside, and Tim Ballard himself, I think, <laughs> he played that role because yeah. he was so articulate and uh, very energetic and very uh, charismatic. Uh, he's a Mormon by faith, but he is a very, very driven by his faith. And the, uh, the the motto of the film that Tim Ballard says it a couple of times in the movie uh, that uh, our God's children are not for sale. God's Amen. children are not for sale. Mm -hmm. So, and it's top grossing movie right now. All right, it's, it's number it's one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I saw it in State College uh, July 5th. It opened the day before July 4th. And I hear that uh, uh, one of the showings, there were three showings, um, and one of them was was sold out. Uh, yeah, they, they, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't get in. Uh, that's what I was told when I went. When I went the next day, it was uh, you know not not that many people in the theater. But uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, there. I think it was a number one movie on July fourth, and as you said, Father, selling out in a lot of theaters. Yeah, um, our show is going to be um, uh, heard on Thursday of this week, but I know it's showing tonight, July tenth at Palmyra, and it might be there for a few more days. So if you can grab to see it, that would be great. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, we have a little bit of time to go. I just want to mention this. Um, we have two minutes. I just wanted to mention this for all the uh, parents and grandparents out there. Uh, the new Barbie movie is going to be coming out. Um, it is not for children. <laughs> it may be spin that way, but it is not for children. Um, it does contain pro-LGBT and feminist propaganda. Um, and one of the, fil the film features a gender-confused man portraying a female doctor. And it, the theme is uh, belittling to men. 
So while it may seem cute, um, I know for me as a kid uh, growing up in the 60s, we all had the, all the girls have Barbies and Ken dolls. Sure, sure. So and it was very innocent and we put the clothes on them and we act out different scenes and stuff like that. And Barbie would go to the fair and she'd go to church and she'd do all these things on her dates with Ken. But I think this is a completely different spin. But I think it might be uh, very subtle for some, for some of the kids, maybe, but it could also be, you know, uh, kind of like um, planting a seed in the mind. Yeah. And, and not uh, as innocent as we'd like it to be. I'm an advocate of, um, for myself anyway, of, of watching a movie like that with the view of refuting it and warning people uh, about it. I'm a former journalist, mm -hmm. so I have that streak in me of interacting with the other side. Right. Uh, and um, I was seeing some, I was catching up on some classic movies of the sixties and seventies that, that I wanted to see that are lionized by, you know, loved by the critics. And the, the content is so horrible. Mm -hmm. the, the sexual immorality in these movies is oftentimes, you know, among young people. Yes. It's, it's just horrible. And, um, I, and then I have second thoughts, you know, should I be, should I really be watching this stuff? Um, but you know, I want to be able to do an analyses of, mm. of these of these movies, especially from the from the standpoint of spirituality right. and morality, which the critics don't care about at all. Hollywood doesn't care about that yeah, at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, we're we're going to be wrapping up for the day. If you could give us a prayer, Father, and send us on our way, please. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon us. Fill us with your grace, your peace, and your light by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love. May we share that love with others through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.